Like we got to trust God, even for those of us who feel like we have a call to be a leader or we have an assignment from God to be a leader. The reality of many situations is you don't start there. Yeah. And in not starting there, like you have to trust God that his providence has you in the exact place that he wants you to be at in that particular time. This is the absurd journey of three church planners reintroducing familiar ideas in unfamiliar ways. This is the Bless Up Podcast. All right, welcome back. This is the Bless Up Podcast. I'm Rachel. We're in studio with Corey and James today. And uh, we're going to continue on in the questions that you all submitted as our intro questions and um, some of the topics that you wanted to know about. So... I feel like I feel like we just need to stop after the last one. I feel like the last <laughs> one was it was such a hit that I feel like we just we just gotta we're batting a thousand right now. Well, I, I mean, like there's no topping like, that. Yeah, at least no, I don't think so because I don't know what your answers are going to be. I mean, if you're listening to this episode and you didn't hear the story from the last episode, stop right now. Go back to the last episode. This is all I'm going. Classic, this is all classic. I'm going to say concerning that to the person who sent in that question, <laughs> and I knew, and I knew it was you. I'm. A nice person. So I'm not going to tell a story about you and your bicycle because I'm a nice person. Oh, shoot. That's all I'm going to say because I'm a nice person. Wow. <clears throat> I don't even know what that story is. I'm going to tell you off off the air okay. because I'm a nice person. All right. All, all right. right. Here's, Can you surprise us again? Here's what I, well, yeah, and I actually don't know how... How either of you are going to answer this. Okay. I, don't, I don't have an answer for this because I've never been in this situation. Okay. Um same thing with the shoes though so i'm just assuming <laughs> that this is people dragging you again in the questions that were submitted oh boy um what is the funniest reason you have ever been let go from a job or volunteer position i don't know if this is somebody that worked with you guys or what is what is the funniest reason you've ever been let go from a job or volunteer position I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'll think of of another one. The one that comes to my mind is my f- very first job. I, I like kind of got fired. Like kind of got fired. Um, Where'd you work? I worked at a sports retail shop. Oh, this wasn't the Fun Fortress. All right, <laughs> relax. We don't need to. We don't need to. Uh, I Corey, you had some jobs, man. Because you was you was roofing at one point. You I was were like, roofing yeah. too. Yeah. When yeah, I met yeah. him, he worked, worked at a place a... called the Fun Fortress. I yeah. didn't believe him. I thought it was a made up. I don't know, bro. Corey had some jobs. <laughs> Shout out to the Fun Fortress, man. I worked at a sports retail shop. And when was uh, this? How old were you? I was sixteen. It was okay. my first job. It was okay. my first job. I got my license and I got my job like within like a few days of each other. So. It was a small sports retail shop. It wasn't it wasn't like one of the big ones in Belden or nothing like that. Um, and so, like, because it was small, you had to know how to do everything. You had to know how to do everything from like restocking the shelves to like how to fold shirts to like how to how to run the register. You know, like there wasn't like sections and stuff. Like you just had to know how to do everything. And I was cool with everything except for some reason with this register. I just like couldn't because it wasn't like 
you were just typing in numbers. That'd be real easy if you was just typing in numbers like that was on the price tag. That would be easy. But you, what you had to do was you actually had to push buttons for what the item was. So like a sweatshirt was one button, a shirt was another button, pants were another button, and then there were like sub buttons of like what kind of pants are these sweatpants, are these uh, running pants, like you know the different kinds of things. And all of those had different pricing implications. Then you would type in the buttons, and this whole system was just really confusing to me. And, but I also like, I wanted to impress. And so when, when the person who was training me on the register was like, do you understand? I was like, yes, I understand. And what I didn't realize was that by telling them that I understood that that meant I was going to be left on the register by myself. And, uh, so I did, uh, Oh, probably like three days in a row of running the store by myself. Oh no. And when I tell you, like, I've never, I, I promise you, I promise you, this would be the appropriate place to admit it in a humorous way, but I can't do it. I've never stolen money. I never stole money. I just didn't know how to work that dang register. So at the end of the week, did you overcharge everybody or did you undercharge everybody? I don't know what I did, but at the end of the week, the, the amount that the register said I sold and the amount of cash in the register did not match. And I swore that I didn't take money, but they were like, they were like, well, you had to have because like your register's off. And I was like, well, yeah, that's, a, uh, that's a thing. Well, I just don't know how to use that register. And they're like, so you've been using it for, the, for this whole week and you didn't know how to use it. And now I hear how stupid that sounds. <laughs> but at the time, like with a straight face and a confused look, I was like, yes. <laughs> Why is that so unbelievable? So they didn't fire me. They just said, all right, well, I got to think about this. I need you to go home for today. I was like, no problem. I was trying to get out of there anyway. And I left. And then I never got a call with a new schedule. <laughs> it was weird. Yeah. Registers. Interesting. Um, where, where, what was this place? Or do you not want to tell I us? I just so? told you it was a sports retail right. shop. Right. I was it doesn't exist anymore. Oh, oh, okay. I, I, have, I didn't know if you worked at Dick's for a week in like. No, I told you it wasn't the. See, she don't be listening. Sometimes. I was. Li- I, I, I told was. you it wasn't one of the big ones in Belden. Dick's is in Belden. Oh, that's okay. That's fair. Yeah. That's fair. But listen, that question works really well with the with the topic that we're going into today. Does it? Um, yeah, because uh, one of the thing that was brought up that we wanted to talk about was, um, how do you how do you lead? How do you exist? Um, how do you work when you're not the leader? Oh, yeah. How do you do that when you're not the leader? Um, how do you lead? How do you work? Um, how do you work hard and work well uh, when you are not the person in charge? Mm-hmm. Because, honestly, like, and I, like, in the back of that factory, oh, gosh, I knew I was never going to be in charge. I knew that I needed to listen to every single person who was head of those machines. Like, I didn't, I didn't know what I was doing. And absolutely, they all did, beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's a phenomenal team of people that they have there. So, how do you do it well? I mean, I injured myself in every every space there, but but I did my best listening. So, what do you guys think? How do you lead when you are not the leader? Yeah, I think there is a mystical aspect to it, and I think there's a very, very practical aspect to it. And... I say that as I look at like two particular stories, like in the Old Testament. So you have the story of Joseph and you have the story of Daniel. 
And if you look at the story of Joseph, like the top of Joseph's story is like, yeah, it involves like Joseph, like having this dream and him like being a dreamer. So he's evidently gifted. But then it comes at like Joseph, like sharing the right word at the wrong time. Like we look at the end of Joseph's story and we see that like that dream he had was exactly what was going to happen. Yeah. But he shared it in the wrong time in the wrong way. That's good. And what we find after that in Joseph's story is like that lands like that in a large part due to like the jealousy of his brothers lands him in slavery in Egypt. And what we find when he's in slavery or in jail, sorry, in Egypt is Joseph there's going to be a mystical part where God's going to speak to Joseph through his dreams. So God is speaking to Joseph through his dreams. This is mystical. And I think as we think about like leading in a second seat or having influence as not a leader, I think the first part of it, it just lies in the very mystical, but reality of Christianity, which is like, we got to trust God. Like we got to trust God even for those of us who feel like we have a call to be a leader or we have an assignment from God to be a leader, the reality of many situations is you don't start there. Yeah. And in not starting there, like you have to trust God that his providence has you in the exact place that he wants you to be at in that particular time. So there's a space of trust and there's a space of honing one's gift set and honing one's skill and honing one's ability. Joseph is going to keep having dreams throughout that story. And God's going to put him in predicaments and put him in places where he's going to keep having dreams. So there's the mystical, but then there's the practical. When Joseph has the opportunity to share his dreams, he shares them. And Joseph, at by this point, because he's been having dreams, Joseph is skilled at having dreams and interpreting them. So when Joseph's moment comes, he has the ability to actually showcase his ability. And he has the ability to become a leader to the point where he becomes right under Pharaoh in Egypt. And has the ability to save his brothers and fulfill the original vision that God gave him in that dream. So I think it's mystical and like, hey, there's a, there's a part of it where it's, I need to trust God. Like I need to trust what God is doing. Yeah. But I think there's a very practical part of Joseph is continuing to have dreams over and over again in these different situations. So when it's Joseph's turn, Joseph interprets the dream and then Joseph's going to take what he's learned in all these different situations. And when it's his chance to be a leader, he does it in a way that not only benefits all of Egypt and himself, but it actually benefits his brothers and saves his family. Yeah. I just, uh, I, I want to take this opportunity to say on this podcast what I've been saying to Corey for like two years now. I've been driving him crazy that I want to see a sermon series at Third Street on all the number twos. Mm. Like, like when hey, you number one, <laughs> when you look at hey, number two. when you look at uh, like the story of Esther, there's mm. Mordecai. Yeah. When you look at uh, when you look at Ruth, there's Naomi. When you look at Paul, there's Barnabas. Like, there's, there's the number two person is such a critical person in so many stories in Scripture. Like, it's Mordecai that looked at Esther 
and said, perhaps you're here for such a time as this. Like one of the most quoted verses from the book of Esther, that was Mordecai that said that. And when you look at Ruth and Naomi, like Naomi is the one who put the plan into motion to get Ruth where she was going when they went back to Naomi's homeland. Like there's there's so like the 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 number two position is so crucial that it almost feels belittling to call it number two. You know what I mean? Like that. That number two seat is like it's it's imperative that that exists because we were never meant to lead alone. Leaders were never meant to lead alone. I can't point to one single actually very good, solid leader that doesn't have a whole team of amazing people around them because that is how the kingdom of God is crafted. When you look at Ephesians, we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. None of those exist alone, and they are all needed to move the church forward. When you look in Acts and you look at the early church, uh, it's Peter who says, I need all these people to, to step into their roles, and I need these roles to be created and crafted. I need care for the widows and the orphans. I need all of this. If you want me to preach and deliver the word and do these things, we have to exist in teams. And I think one of the most crucial ways of doing that is coming to a realization of what you're good at and what you're not and valuing what you're not good at. Mm. (laughs) We have to be able to value what we're not good at, and we have to be honest about what we're not good at, because that allows us to submit to the leadership of others. Like, I look at the staff team that I'm a part of now, and I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you. Thank you for that. I work with this lady named Julia. And I'm like, oh my gosh, thank you for everything that Julia does because it is absolutely entirely everything that I am not. And I love working alongside her because she is so good at so many things. And she has this like plethora of wisdom on how the marketing world works and the things that you need to put into Um, a piece of marketing material and all the different pieces and how they come together. And I have learned so much from her that I am so thankful that God put me with her and put her, put me under her leadership Mm -hmm. because she is so good at so many things that I am not. And I like, I'm so thankful to be her number two. Let me take you back. Oh, goodness. He's leaning back. <laughs> he's leaning back in the seat, and to, he's sighing. So buckle up. I don't know what's about to happen. To the year 2002. The Los Angeles Lakers have already successfully won back-to-back NBA championships and are en route How did this for their, just go for to their third How? title. And they were up in a game seven against their conference foe, the Sacramento Kings. Yeah. You remember this team? Oh, yeah. Chris Webber. Mike Bibby. Mike Bibby. Peja Stoyakovich. Stoyakovich. Vladi Divac, who was originally a Laker. 
This was his chance to get back. Oh, right? Doug Christie and Doug Bobby Christie Jackson. and Bobby Jackson. Off bro. the bench. Woo. I'm saying this. Better days, man. That was a squad. Some would argue, some would argue that along with the Utah Jazz teams of the 90 that saw John Stockton passing all those assists to Carl Malone for all those points, this was the greatest team to never win an NBA title. Right. But here's what a lot of people forget is that they almost did. So close. If not for the Kobe Shaq Lakers. What did I just say? The Kobe Shaq Lakers. But sometimes there we forget about an unsung hero. Come on, talk about him. There's a man by the name of Bob. Bob. <laughs> Come on, somebody. Listen, listen. Who's let me tell you. LA5, Let me tell you about Big Shot Bob. <laughs> Sir Robert Ori. Okay? The Lakers were down late. Kobe had missed a game winner. Shaq missed a game winner. And as the ball was up in the air after a miss with only a couple ticks left, Shaq Tips the ball out because Sacramento's about to get that rebound and end this game and go on to the NBA Finals, thus running Kobe and Shaq's streak of consecutive finals. And he tips the ball out. And who was there at the top of the key to catch the ball? Was it Bob? It was Big Big Shot shot Bob. LA5, baby. LA5. And Big Shot Bob, with only one second left on the clock, pulls up and knocks down a three-pointer to not only win the game, but to send the Los Angeles Lakers to their third consecutive NBA Finals where they would go on to sweep the New Jersey Nets led by Jason Kidd, thus sealing the 3 P and one of the greatest dynasties in NBA history. We love to remember Kobe and Shaq, and you know what? We freaking should. But what? without Big Shot Bob... They're not getting title number three. Without Derek Fisher later on, they're not getting back to the NBA Finals in 04. Without the players who step up when called upon, they're not, they're not getting there. Here's Man. my point. Here's yeah. my point coming off of coming off of what you're saying. Know your role. Know, know what you do. And be ready to do what you do better than everybody else does what you do when it's time to do it. Mm-hmm. Right. We people people aren't teams are not successful for long periods of time. And now I'm translating this to any organization. Right. Teams are not successful over long periods of time. Their teams do not experience sustainable success without value being added by each team member. So even if you are not in a position of quote unquote authority or a position of leadership, that team's success is not sustainable without your 100%, without your value being added, right? And I think that there's a lot of barriers that are preventing team members from bringing uh, their best. I think specifically what we're talking about today is like people feeling like they're not in a position to influence, but that is a lie. That's a lie straight from the pit of hell that you don't have influence in that space yeah. simply because you aren't a decision maker. That's that that's a lie. That team would not be who they are or functioning at the performance level that they're functioning at without you. So know your role. Know what you bring. Know the value that you bring to the table and be ready to bring it when it's time when it's time for it to be brought. Right? Absolutely. And yeah. 
we say this a lot as citizens. It's one of our motifs. There's an old African proverb. If you want to go fast, go alone. Yeah. If you want to go far, go together. And the whole idea of that is like, yeah, if you want to do something the way you want to do it, at the speed you want to do it, at the time you want to do it, in the place you want to do it, then you got to do that alone. But if you want to go far, if you want to accomplish something bigger than yourself and outside of yourself and outside of your particular ability, you got to do it with other people. You got to do it together. And the biblical narrative on how we accomplish things is striking compared to our world and particularly our American cultural narrative. Because our American cultural narrative is this hierarchical narrative that says, like, there's an org chart where there's one person on the top. And my whole life, my whole career, my whole anything should be climbing and scratching tooth and nail to yep. get to that top spot. Yep. Talk the, about it. But the kingdom of God narrative is completely different. Come on. In the kingdom of God, it's not about being on the top of that ladder because we believe the one who is sitting on the top of that ladder on yep. a chair called a throne is Jesus. He's sitting at the top of it. He's at the top of it. So the rest of us quite literally are bystanders. We're actors in this great play that is the kingdom of God. And like to go on with the sports analogies, the reality is when Kobe and Shaq win that ring, we still remember Robert Ory for that game. But guess what? Uh, Lindsey Hunter and everyone else who was on the Lakers who we don't remember, guess what? They They got a ring too. They yeah. got a ring, too. Slava Medvedenko. Slava Medvedenko got a ring. And the reality is, for us in the kingdom of God, like, we've already won. So for us, whether we are in a top seat in an organization or a leadership seat in an organization, or whether or not, or whether we're not, it's just, yeah, it doesn't matter. We just still serve and love and give in the same way because Jesus has served and love and given to us. And the reality is, yeah, yeah, I had breakfast with, uh, with I, my mentor, I don't even know what to call him because he's like, I'm my pastor anymore, but he kind of still is. Jim College, he's my guy. So we had like breakfast the other day. And he was just like, he was looking at me and he's like, man, he's like, and it like touched my heart. He's like, I'm really proud of you. He's like, I remember when you were in your early twenties. And he said, I I thought I was going to have to come up to you and tell you that ministry wasn't for you. He said, you guys, (laughs) he goes, you guys were kind of just hanging out. And he goes, I was going to, he goes, I didn't think you had the motor for it. He's like, he's like, but man, you do. And, and like what he said to me, like, it's going to stick with me for a while. He's like, don't be like me. He's like, encourage those who you're pouring into and those who you're investing into. Encourage them to be what they can be beyond, like, see beyond where they are. And he's like, encourage them to be what God is designing them to be and what they can be. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a responsibility for people who are in leadership seats to do that for younger folks. Yeah. But I think younger folks, there's also a humility that needs to be had because back in those days, I could do a few things decently. Mm -hmm. But the reality is there was 29 things just for that particular position I was in that I needed to learn in order to do that faithfully. And now on the other side, 
there's another thousand things that I need to learn, like that I need to learn to do that better. We were talking, we were on a uh, Zoom call earlier with our pal, shout out Dele. Dele. And we get on the call and I ask him, I'm like, so how you doing, man? And then I forgot it was his birthday last week. So I'm like, hey, man, happy belated birthday. And he goes, oh, thanks, man. He goes, you know, I'm moving on now. He goes, I'm 43. He goes, and in Nigerian culture, after you turn 40, they say you have no excuse. <laughs> he said, so. Wow. He said, so. Wow. He said, so. I have no excuse, and I've got work to do now. Wow. And I'm like, man, well, Dele, uh, I'll blame it on you and I'll blame it on the boogie until I turn 40 here, buddy. Blame it on the boogie. I was like, I was like, I'll blame it on, I'll blame it on you or I'll blame it on the boogie. I'll blame it on something until I turn 40. And we laughed and he goes, yeah, he goes, I'm 43, man. So he's like, the reality is I got about 15 more years. And he's like, time to put the roof on the house. He's like, that's how we think about it as Nigerians. He's like, time to, time to put the roof on the house. The reality is like, if you're listening and you're 21 or you're 25 or you're in your 30s like we are, the reality is, like, by God's grace, like, by God's grace in Nigerian culture, you still have an excuse. Like, yeah, learn, time, learn, fail forward, uh, discover, and just trust God that, man, if you feel like he's called you, equipped you, and given you ability— to lead in a certain way, trust him that in his time, he'll take you there because his time is perfect. Yeah. I think, I think there's this, like, it's, it's a common problem for, you know, those of us who, who are in positions or have been in positions that aren't the like decision-making seats. They're a part of a team and we don't agree with the way some things are being handled or we see how we would do it better. Right. There's a whole population of us that look at things naturally as how they can be better. It's not necessarily fueled by like, you know, hate or cynicism or, you know, or or arrogance. You know, it's just it's just a desire to make things better. It's not that this is bad. It's just I see how it can be better. And I think a lot of times when that goes when that goes unpolished, um, it can lead to resentment or cynicism. In that, like, well, this is, here we go again. This is not how I would do it. Or this is how, like, this this needs to be better this way. Or, like, we really got to start doing this. Or I'm going to, you're going to do what? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like we, <clears throat> and we fall into this trap of feeling like, um, of feeling like we're just, like, powerless to do anything. Um, like, we're powerless to actually, like, make a difference. And... I mean, I've already addressed how that's just that's foolish on a on a team level, but I just want to like specifically say like that I believe that that's what the enemy would have you believe um, to distract you and get you off track of what God is building in you. Um, the reality is like God has not forgotten that great work that he has put in your heart. The reason you have in your heart to do a great work is not because of an ambition that you cooked up on your own, Mm -hmm. but because of a desire and a perspective that God has placed in your heart. So I encourage you to go after it, but I also encourage you just like you were saying, 
like to remember that it's about timing and that perhaps if God has not entrusted you with the fullness of whatever that desire is, perhaps it's not time for you to step into that yet. And there's still something else that needs to be shaped and molded, right? When you look at the, the whole scape of uh, earlier, Rev was talking about uh, cleaning, cleaning the whole house. Yeah, man. Right? Like he was talking about cleaning the whole house. When if your kitchen and living room both need cleaned, you got to start somewhere. And I know that my desire is to get to that living room, but I got to start in the kitchen. And that doesn't mean that I've forgotten to do the living room. Did you hear what I said, babe? That doesn't mean I forgot to do the living room. That just means I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there in a second. I'm going to get there in a minute. I got to do, I got to take care of the kitchen first, right? I got to take care of this first. I think that, I think that our growth in these spaces should be handled similarly in that, in that it's not that we've forgotten or lost track or we're not tapping into this like bigger ambition or this bigger vision or this bigger influence. It's that we just got to take care of one space first. We got to take care of what's right in front of us at a time that perhaps there's a bigger need that requires our attention for right now. And then the other side of what I would say kind of goes back to what you were saying earlier, Rach, is, is, you know, learning to value not only in yourself, but in other people, what they bring to mm-hmm. the table at their best. Because I think the other thing that it does is it diminishes uh, the potential for resentment that we have towards people in leadership or influential position or like decision-making positions when we recognize and value their contributions and how they're different from us. Um, because then it's not a matter of like, of like, well, I, I could be, it's like, oh, like, like that's, that's, that's them. That's what, that's what they do. Um, and it's just, it's just, it's just different. And then for the people that are sitting in the seats of leadership or decision-making or whatever, my encouragement to you coming off of what you were saying, JT, is I would, I would encourage you to create the space that does not reinforce societal hierarchies that have, you know, that have defeated and diminished dreams and ambition that God has placed in our heart, but will be to use your leadership and your influence to create spaces where every, everyone's voice is truly heard, to create spaces where everyone's value is allowed to have room at the table and to be on full display, right? Foster team cultures and environments that truly get the best expression of who everyone on your team really is. Because when we're able to get that out of folks, then we're really able to optimize team performance. I've seen this both in the church world and in the business world. Whatever your valuable bottom line is, whether it's souls or dollars, getting the best out of your team, creating team cultures and environments where everybody is able to be heard, valued, understood, and appreciated adds to the bottom line, right? I would say how we can see it in Acts and we can see it in Apple. I'll tell you both. I'll tell you both and I won't bore you with it right now. But like, but, but the reality is like, that's, that's, that's a requirement for us to be able to prevent further resentment and truly get the best out of our people. I think if I was going to offer two very concrete, tangible takeaways to the end of this, it would be this. 
um, to the leader, the person who is in the number one seat. If you are feeling tension with with the person, the leader that's coming after you, um, I want to ask you, where have you pulled that person or, or those people into conversations above their pay grade and given them responsibility without authority? Because most of the time, that's the breeding grounds of resentment. Mm. When you start giving yeah. a taste of responsibility, when you start authority. when yeah, you start peeling back the veil and pulling them into conversations way above their pay grade, you're dangling opportunity without actually giving it. Um, and so where are you doing that and how can you begin to rectify that? Um, that's that's what I would offer to the leaders. To the leaders who are sitting in the number two seat, the number three seat, number four, number five. Um, man, I've sat in all of them. And, and, I'm, and the thing that I wish I could tell myself when I started in my career all the way through my 20s, um, the dumpster fire that was my twenties, um, and and into now, like the thing that I wish I I had then was the understanding that nuance exists everywhere. Nuance exists everywhere. No matter how many books you've read, classes you've taken, degrees you've obtained, or ideas you have, there is always nuance. Allow. Allow the humility to accept nuance. Because even if we have great ideas, even if we have the best, um, the, the best things brewing in our heart and in our mind and in our prayers, there's meetings that we're not in. Unless, unless you can say that you are sitting in, in every elders meeting, every executive team meeting, every finance meeting, every brainstorming meeting, unless you can say that you are sitting in every single possible meeting, then I guarantee there's things you don't know. I guarantee there's discussions that you haven't been in. I guarantee there's perspective that the people who have been there longer have that you don't. And I wish that I could go back and say that to myself. I wish that somebody had said that to me. Um, because when you approach when you approach sharing your ideas and when you approach prayer over your ideas, and when you approach your superiors from a posture that is willing to willing to accept nuance and assumes that there's things you don't know, man, those conversations presenting those ideas go so much better. And it's also way easier when things get shot down when you think about it from that perspective. And so, like those are those are the two things that I would offer um, as we as we wrap up this discussion. All right, y'all. We'll be back in two weeks. Bless up. Bless up. Name it on the bouquet.